namo bhagavate vasudevaya Arthasthan matrikajyagye Thamasad indriyanicha Thaijasad devatha asan Ekadasa chavaykritat From false ego in the mode of ignorance came the subtle physical perceptions from which the gross elements were generated. From false ego in the mode of passion came the senses. And from false ego in the mode of goodness arose the eleven demigods. Purport. From false ego in the mode of ignorance, sound is generated along with the senses of hearing to receive it and the sky as its medium. Next, the sensation of touch, air, and the sense of touch are generated. And thus, from the subtle to gross, all of the elements and their perceptions are generated. The senses, because they are busily engaged in activity, are created from false ego in the mode of passion. From false ego in goodness come eleven demigods, the deities of the directions, the wind and the sun, Varuna, the Aswini deities, Agni, Indra, Upendra, Mitra, Brahma, and Chandra. Today we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 11, Chapter 24, entitled The Philosophy of Sankhya, Text 8. I am very grateful to be back with you, Sri Radha Gopinath Temple. Thank you. Thank you all for coming on this. Is today Wednesday? Thursday. Somewhere it's Wednesday, where I'm coming from, actually. On this Thursday morning, you have all come here. Krishna is continuing his lessons to Uddhava. In the previous chapter, he explained the story of the Brahman from Avanti Desh, a person who was quite wealthy, successful, but fearful and proud. And due to that, he mistreated others. 
even his own loved ones, without really even knowing it. He was so absorbed in, him, in himself and his success and all those things around him. He was quite blind to his own true spiritual interest. He couldn't even recognize how he was neglecting and hurting other people. The nature of the false ego. But then everything turned in another direction. He lost his wealth. Everybody around him rejected him. He was left with nothing and no one. And all those people around him were abusing him and criticizing him and blaspheming him, even sometimes torturing him. In that state, he remembered how the great souls of the past, in whatever situation they were in, they took shelter of Krishna. And he prayed to follow in their footsteps and take that shelter. And in that state of consciousness, he became the wealthiest person in Brahma's creation. Physically, he was in the same destitute situation. But internally, he had discovered the wealth of Krishna within his heart and he became happy. And even the Supreme Personality of Godhead, what to speak of little people like us remembering him, even Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu glorified and remembered him and his divine words and prayers as the beacon of light, even in a condition of great darkness. So what is wealth, what is success, is explained in a very extreme way in the story of the Avanti Brahman. I'm just remembering my beloved godbrother, His Holiness Bhakti Tirta Swami Maharaj when he was in his last weeks in this world, he invited me to be with him. And the very first day I was there, he was addressing a group of about 50 visitors in his bedroom. And he was sitting there with one leg amputated, body covered with massive tumors emaciated then. Doctor gave him a few days more to live. And he was he was speaking about Krishna. And everyone in the room was weeping and crying and transformed. And people came out of that room collapsing in gratitude. They never had such a spiritual experience. And when I went in, I asked, how did you do that? 
You're speaking the same words you always spoke for the last 30 years, but you never affected people like this. I've never seen anyone affect people like this. He said, all these years I've been praying on behalf of Srila Prabhupada to help others. And now Krishna's blessing me so much. How could I ask for anything better than this? Because of my physical state, people are opening their hearts so much to the lessons, the teachings, the grace that Prabhupada has given us. If I lived another 50 years, I could not affect people's lives as much as I could do in these few weeks. So I consider this a great blessing. And he was smiling. He was totally happy. Deeply happy. And the soul's happiness. Because he wasn't thinking in terms of the wealth of physical health, the wealth of longevity of life, the, lo the wealth of a beautiful body. He was connected with the wealth of the shelter of Krishna and how I can serve Krishna. So what is wealth? Everything in this world is perishing. Just a few days ago on Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur's Disappearance Day, Srila Prabhupada was appealing to us. He said, and listen carefully to this, the Krishna Consciousness Movement means, Srila Prabhupada is here defining what Krishna Consciousness is, what our movement is. We have a lot of management issues and we have a lot of um, different projects, different services. But the foundation is what the Krishna Consciousness Movement is. Are you all eagerly awaiting Srila Prabhupada's definition? Because according to how eager we are is how it will affect us. Srila Prabhupada said, the Krishna consciousness movement means feeling for the sufferings of humanity. As we love Krishna, we love every living entity. These are Srila Prabhupada's words. Because we see everything and everyone in relation to Krishna. A devotee is one who is willing to accept discomforts for the benefit of others. Therefore, the Krishna Consciousness Movement means feeling for the sufferings of humanity. It is that consciousness that is true wealth. 
That's how we cultivate our love for Krishna and that's how we express our love for Krishna. The more we seek shelter of Krishna, the more we receive shelter from Krishna. Yegatamam prabhadyante tamstadaivabhajamya Krishna tells, as you seek shelter, I give shelter. As you surrender, I reveal myself. And to the degree that we seek shelter, we receive shelter, and then we could actually, on Krishna's behalf, give shelter. So the Avanti Brahman became, he, get, he gained everything when he became detached. When we become detached from the false ego, then we recognize the great wealth that is forever ours in Krishna. And after that incredible story in glorification, Krishna is glorifying. Krishna himself is dedicating almost an entire chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam to glorify the Avanti Brahman. And here Krishna is describing the process of creation from a perspective that we understand the purpose of creation and how to to practically live through our thinking, our feeling, our willing, through our actions, our words, how we're actually living within this creation to fulfill the purpose. Srila Prabhupada tells that the idea of evolution is very much a principle taught in Vedanta. Srila Prabhupada tells that Charles Darwin actually took the theory of evolution from the Vedic knowledge. It's not his theory. It's Krishna's. It's Vedanta. But he just mixed it up. Because evolution is there. We're, just, we're, we're hearing it from Krishna in this description of Sankhya philosophy. But the difference between a mundane, mistaken idea of evolution, which is speculative, and the truth of how the, the creation evolves, is the source. Bahunam janmanam ante jnanavamam papadyate vasudeva sarvamiti samahatma sudurlava. After cultivating knowledge for so many births and going through death and then cultivating it gone after birth, when one finally reaches the state of true knowledge, one understands that Basudev, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is the source of everything, the cause of all causes. 
sarva karana karanam, and ultimately all that is. The Vedanta Sutra is the summary essence of the condensed knowledge of all Vedic literatures compiled by Vyasadeva himself. And he begins, Janmadhyasyayata, that the absolute truth is the source of everything, the origin of all. So how the Supreme Lord personally has manifested everything and how it's evolving within this creation is truth. But if we take away Krishna, if we take away the supreme inconceivable potencies of the absolute truth, then everything becomes speculation. So in this particular verse, as Krishna's telling how ultimately everything is one, because there's only Krishna. But for for the sake of eternal pleasure and Leela, Krishna expands himself in so many ways. His Ladini Shakti, he expands himself as Sri Radharani. And it's not a question of when, because when in regard to eternality is just a bhava of lila, because there was never a time when they did not exist. Krishna tells Arjuna, never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings, nor in the future shall any of us ever cease to be. In this verse, right at the very beginning of Bhagavad Gita, before Krishna even describes how we're not this body, we're the eternal soul, before that he establishes we're all individuals eternally. Nityo nityanam chetanas chetananam eko bahunam yogadadati kama. That there is one supreme eternal, and then there are limitless eternals. And all those limitless eternals are forever subordinate to and dependent on the one supreme eternal. Mamaivam so jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana manashashtana indriyani prakriti shtani karashati. The living entity, the source of consciousness within all life, every living being is eternally my part and parcel. So when we speak the word when, it's not based on chronological time. In fact, Srila Prabhupada tells us from the Shastras that in the spiritual world, which is the supreme reality, time is conspicuous by its absence. So what is the question of when, if there's no time? In this world, time is 
based on a beginning and an end and whatever happens in between. But in the spiritual world, everything is lila, ananda lila. And it's all lilas for the purpose of Krishna's pleasure. And Krishna's pleasure is everyone's pleasure. So Krishna expands himself as his Ladini Shakti, Srimati Radharani, who is the source of all other Shaktis. And in the spiritual world, there's limitless parts of Krishna, all having Lila with Krishna. But we're all one with Krishna in the tattva that we're all emanating from him. And in the spiritual world, the oneness with God is predominantly experienced through the oneness of love. Where there's love, there's no separate interest. Merging in the oneness with God through our love for God. Where there could be no separation in that love. But in that love, there is free will. And with that free will, there are the jivas, the living beings, who want to enjoy separate from Krishna. We are all Krishna's energies. And Ananda Mayobhyashat, we're all seeking pleasure. When we seek pleasure separate from Krishna, Krishna wants to bring us back to that free, independent will to be reunited in love with him. So this material creation is the facility for that. It's described here in this chapter that Krishna creates the whole material energy for the purpose of fulfilling the independent desires, giving a chance for the living beings to try to fulfill their independent desires. And in the process, ultimately, everyone is frustrated. And the sooner we become frustrated, the happier we'll become providing we understand the alternative. Because if we're simply frustrated, then we're simply frustrated. But in our frustration, when we understand from the highest planet in this world, Brahmaloka down to the lowest of Patala, they're all places where birth and death and miseries are inevitable. So really, what is it I'm striving for? What is it I'm, what is it I'm hoping for? What am, I, what am I struggling and utilizing this durlava manava janma, this very rare, precious opportunity of human life, which has taken me millions of births to achieve? What am I using it for? Just to sow the seeds of inevitable pain and frustration and, and loneliness? 
daivigeshu gonamaye mama maya turatiya mame vamir papadiyate maya metaturatiya material life the three modes of nature very difficult situation in this particular um, discussion Prabhupada had on the disappearance day of his Guru Maharaj. He was appealing to his disciples to take on the mission that his Guru gave him to spread Lord Chaitanya's message to the world. And then Srila Prabhupada, as a matter of fact, he said, I am an old man. He said, I may die at any moment. He said, nothing to be bothered with, because that is nature's law. Nature's law is every single one of us could die at every moment. There's nothing you can do about it. We could take medical stuff, and we can get security for our homes, and all of these other things. But still, maybe not this moment, but in a very upcoming future moment, it will happen. It's inevitable. It's nature's law. Taking responsibility for the service of Krishna, for the pleasure of Krishna, is the eternal reality. And it is the means by which we can enter into that eternal reality. Herein, and in the previous and future verses, it's describing how the false ego manifests. Krishna, who's one, he manifests himself as material energy and spiritual energy. They're all coming from him. This material energy is under Krishna's control. Aham sarvasya prabhava mata sarvam pravartate iti matva bhajante mam buddha bhava samanvita. Krishna tells, I'm the source of all spiritual and all material worlds. Everything emanates from me. And the next part of the verse tells what the whole purpose of spiritual and material existence is. The wise who know this perfectly engage in my loving service. So if we want to actually be liberated from the sufferings of this world. And if we want to help others to be liberated from the sufferings of this world, it's important to understand what is the root cause of suffering. And here and throughout the Vedic literatures, it is clearly defined, it is ahankar, the false ego. What is false ego? When we think, when we're under the illusion that I am the controller, I am the proprietor, and I am the enjoyer. 
The only way we could think like this is when we forget that we're eternal souls. In, in Mahaprabhu Sri Chaitanya's message to Sanatan Goswami, he establishes the principle of Sanatan Dharma on the verse, Jivera Swarupoy Krishnera Nityadas. The nature of every soul in every species of life, everywhere in all material and all spiritual worlds, is that we're eternal servants of Krishna. Nityasiddha Krishna Prema Sadhyakabhuna. I love for Krishna is the inherent nature within all of us. But when we forget that, we become covered by this ego, this false ego. And in the false ego, we start identifying Janasya Moho Yamahamameti. I am this body, whatever's in relation to the body is mine. And then we come under this feverish condition of trying to be the proprietor, the controller, and the enjoyer. Krishna tells in Gita Bhaktaram Yagyatapasam Sarva Lokameshuram Suratam Sarva Bhutanam Gyatvamam Shanti Mrichati. The only true peace is when we understand and recognize, and that recognition it comes by applying the principle to our daily life. That Krishna is the proprietor of everything. Krishna is the controller of everything. And ultimately everything is meant to be used in Krishna's service. Suhridam Bhutana. And Krishna is our ever-well-wishing friend. No matter what happens, Krishna is our friend. Krishna loves us unconditionally, unlimitedly. And the only real shelter anywhere, in any time, is in Krishna's love for us. Ishvara sarva bhutanam And Krishna's within our heart. Krishna's within the heart of every living being, just waiting to give us shelter when we turn to him. What is that that keeps us from seeking shelter of Krishna? Ahankar, the false ego. It's all the, the, the very root of all the weeds in the forest of our hearts. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explains that we are, a devotee is like a gardener the seed of bhakti, bhakti lata bij, is there within us. It's awakened by the association of devotees. It's nourished through the water of sadhana and seva, through satsang, association, adoshudatadasadhusangosta. It's a whole gradual evolution of bhakti, 
awakening within our hearts. But he describes that there are many weeds. And these weeds obscure us from being able to recognize the real purpose of our life, the seed of devotion. In some of our cases, we've been devotees, so they're little, the seed becomes a sprout. And then the sprout becomes a creeper, and then the creeper grows into a wonderful tree with fruits. But we have to be very careful. The weeds of, of lust, selfish desires, anger, arrogance, envy, illusion. And from all of these things, you know, they're, they're like weeds that have other counterparts that develop from them, the desire for prestige, the desire for profit and greed. And for those of you who have done some gardening, no matter how much you cut weeds, they grow back. And sometimes, the more you cut them, the stronger they grow back. The only way to actually free yourself from these weeds is you have to uproot them. You have to deal with the root. So all these anartas, the root of them all, is the false ego. That we're thinking ourselves, prakriti kriyamanani gunai karamani sarvasha ahankara vimudatma kartahamiti manyate. The bewildered soul thinks, we think ourselves the doers of our activities. But actually, that's all happening by nature. Prakriti and Krishna is the source of nature. We're all completely depending on Krishna. Always. So this false ego is at the very root of all suffering. And that is why our great Acharyas teach us this principle of humility, gratitude, as the mood of our service. When Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu teaches Trinadapi Suniche Natador Ibasihishnuna Amani Namanadena Kirtaniya Sadhari. An essential principle that unless we become more humble than a blade of grass, more tolerant and forgiving than a tree, unless we're actually taking great joy in offering respect to others and not demanding or expecting it ourselves, we cannot chant the holy name of the Lord constantly. Because we could follow regulative principles and cut the weeds. 
We could do sadhana and cut the weeds. We could cultivate knowledge. And actually, through Sankhya philosophy, we can very intellectually, philosophically, scientifically, technologically understand what is the difference between matter and spirit, what is truth, what is illusion. And we're cutting the weeds. We could leave our homes. We could wear no, nothing but loincloths. We could sleep under trees. We can endure the cold winters and the hot summers. And in this way, we're cutting weeds. But as long as there's false pride, the roots of the weeds remain. And it's just a matter of time till they keep coming back. So this principle of humility is at the very core of the science of self-realization. Similar, if you have a disease in the blood and it manifests as rashes and boils and so many other discomforts, you know, there's processes to to cure the individual ailment, to get relief. But as long as that disease is in the blood, it's going to keep coming. It's just a matter of time. And sometimes the more you deal with it without dealing with the cause, when it comes back, it gets worse and worse. We have seen people like Hiranyakashipu, Ravana. They're extreme examples. But they knew so much Vedic knowledge. They were doing yagyas. They were doing tapasyas. When they wanted to preach Yasankhya, the difference between body and spirit, they really knew their subject better than all pundits today. but they had false pride. They weren't in the mood of the servant of the servant of the servant. Therefore, all their tapasya and all their cultivation of knowledge and all their yagyas and everything else they did did not actually, apparently they seemed very powerful and very liberated, but they weren't. Little Prahlad, he didn't have any of that stuff. But he was humble. Krishna, I'm yours. Whatever you want, I'm yours. I'm your servant. Let me always remember you and never forget you. And he was liberated. In the fifth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, Lord Krishna is appearing as Rishabdev. And he was a great king in the lineage of other kings. <clears throat> he ruled the world in such a way that he taught the dharma of devotional service. And as an example for others at a certain stage, when he succeeded in every way, he decided to just go to the forest 
as an avaduta. And he instructed his sons, especially his eldest son, Bharat, who is now going to take up the responsibility of being the emperor. And that's where this simple line, Janasya Mohoya Mahamameti, Nayam Deho Dehabajam Niloke, he's telling we're not this body, we should strive for self realization, Tapodivyam Putraka Yena Satyam, that real happiness will come through Tapasya. And what is Tapasya? Tapasya is accepting what's favorable for devotional service and rejecting what's unfavorable. Janasya mohoya mahamameti, which means not doing those things which perpetuate and infatuate the false ego where we're thinking in terms of I and mine. And he teaches the process of devotional service, bhakti. So his son, Bharat, he took these words very seriously. And he ruled the world in such a way, with such compassion for the body, the mind, and the soul, that the planet became named after him, Bharat Varsha. Such greatness. And following in the footsteps of his father, when his children were grown up, the only thing he was attached to really was how he could serve. And in a certain phase, my service will be more valuable to establish a legacy, a legacy of detachment, rather than a legacy of just accumulation. And he accumulated a lot. He was the unrivaled king of the world. And he went to the Himalayas and established the same parampara that his father gave to his children. And we know the story. He was up there meditating. He was in a state of bhava, weeping and crying, remembering Krishna. And that little deer that little deer was drowning in the Gandaki River, the Kalagandaki River. And the only way that little baby deer just born. Did you ever see a deer moments after it's born? Very, very sweet. So sweet that even Bharat, who was a total renunciate, his heart melted. And when something so sweet is in a totally helpless condition, about to die, and perhaps the deer was just looking at Bharat like, save me. <laughs> Frantic, totally bewildered. It's really, a, when Krishna wants to test you, he can do so thoroughly. Imagine this, the mother deer's pregnant, so the little baby's in the womb, never seen anything outside of the, whatever you see inside of the womb of the mother. You don't see anything because it's pitch dark. Yes, even if you have eyes, unless there's light, you can't see anything. 
So the little baby deer is in total darkness, never seen the light of day, in the, in the, never seen any glimpse of light in his whole life. And the mother is running away from a tiger. So the mother's adrenaline of fear is permeating every cell of her body and that's affecting the little baby. And then the mother jumps across the river and the, the lion roars so loud that the mother's so frightened that as she's jumping over the river, she has a miscarriage. And the little baby falls out of her womb into the river. Gandaki, this is Himalayas. The water's very cold, freezing. And the little deer's in total. The first thing the deer sees in his life is just no shelter anywhere of that for him any. Deer didn't know how to swim. Even the mother didn't know how to swim. The mother sees her little baby in such a helpless condition and she just can't, she, there's nothing she could do to help her child. So in that state, she just dies. She just cries and dies. And now the deer and, and Bharat Maharaj is seeing this all happening right in front of him. So he felt so much compassion. And it was real compassion. Paradukaduki. <laughs> We have just cited from Srila Prabhupada, he has, the, the Krishna consciousness movement means feeling the sufferings of others. Physically, emotionally, but never disconnected from spiritually. So Bharat, as a compassionate person who loves Krishna, somehow or other, he went into the water and rescued the little deer. But now the baby, not just baby, infant, just born minutes before. There's no mother. And it's the forest. So many lions, so many snakes. How is the little deer gonna survive? So he protects. He nurses the little deer to health. Now, how many know the story? Please raise your hand. How many do not know the story? I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> But for those of you who know it, Bharat Maharaj spent so much, he was doing his sadhana, he was doing his seva, he was doing his dhyana, his meditation on the form and loving service of Krishna, he was chanting Krishna's names, he was absorbed. But then he became so much um, absorbed in taking care of this little deer that he got spiritually disconnected. 
Now, this is the important part. There was nothing wrong with him taking care of the deer. Everything he did for the deer could have been devotional service. At the beginning, perhaps it was. But his life become unbalanced. If we have proper satsang, where we're reminded that I'm the eternal soul, that this little this living being is an eternal soul, that Krishna is our only shelter, that we're totally dependent on Krishna, on God, then our service is devotional service. But this material existence is very powerful. Krishna gives us very clear definition of the situation we're in. This material existence with the three modes of nature is very, very, very powerful. Unless we take shelter of Krishna, we will be bewildered. And as soon as we get bewildered, what happens? Ahankar. The false ego. It's no longer that Krishna is the center of our life. It becomes, I am the center of my life. In the case of Bharat Maharaj, he, he was so much absorbed in physically and emotionally trying to take, take care of this deer that he understood if you're, if you're drowning, you can't save another drowning person. So, in the pursuit of these apparent physical and emotional needs to serve them, he neglected his own sadhana, his own spiritual practices. And he had no association of anyone to remind him. So in that state, taking care of the deer was primarily in the mode of goodness, but it disconnected him from himself. And again, Krishna wasn't the center anymore. He was the center. Because Bharat now is not thinking that this is Krishna's child entrusted to me in my care. And if it's Krishna's child, I have to cultivate the body, mind, and the soul of this child. In this case, a deer. But when Krishna is not in, not in the f forefront of our consciousness, then it becomes, I am taking care of this deer. Now, this deer is my, my child. I am mine. The example of Srimad Bhagavatam is given as light diminishes, automatically there's darkness. You don't have to order darkness. You don't have to work for darkness. You have to struggle to create light when the sun isn't there. But as soon as the, as, as the light goes down, darkness prevails. 
So we have to keep that light of knowledge alive within us through hearing, through chanting, through association, to keep that light brighter and brighter. And then we could give light to others. So we shouldn't think that Bharat's attention to take care of the deer, that there was anything wrong with that. It's natural. We feel paradukaduki. We feel for the sufferings of others. But because he was distracted from his bhakti, from his devotional service, from keeping Krishna in the center, then gradually he was thinking, I'm in the center. I'm the one taking care. And now he's, when, you, when you disconnect from your own soul, then you see everybody else in the bodily concept. We read how great kings like Bharat, Yudhisthira, Parikshit, Ramchandra, they saw everybody in their kingdom as their own children. But they saw as their own children in the sense that they're all Krishna's children. And now they are under my care. So I'll give my life. Nowhere in the Srimad Bhagavatam or anywhere else does it say that Ranti Dev was in illusion. Ranti Dev was willing to die and suffer for dogs for chandalas. Maharaj Shibi, we don't see that he's an illusion when he's willing to give up his life, suffer and die for a pigeon. Even the Supreme Lord and all the saints praise them because they were God conscious, because they understood this is Krishna's child. And I'm Krishna's child, and it's my duty to take care of that person. And they could see them in relation to Krishna, themselves and the others. And therefore that was seva. Body, mind, and soul. But when you disconnect the spiritual aspect, then everything becomes mixed by the modes of nature. So Bharat Maharaj, he did not have the care to balance his life so that he would keep alive the light of the knowledge that I am eternally servant of Krishna and this little deer and everything else is an eternal servant of Krishna. To the degree our absorption in Krishna gets less, Again, the false ego becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm the center. I'm the knower. I'm the doer. So Bharat Maharaj just became absorbed in material consciousness taking care of the deer. He just kept his sadhana. If he just had some good association, he could have done the same thing, but would have been totally transcendental. It's not what he was doing, it's the state of consciousness in which he did it.
And this is a warning for all of us. We have our families and we have our occupational duties and brahmacharis have their particular services. If we're not really careful to do our sadhana, to have good association, to focus our mind on Krishna, to, under, to cultivate humility and seva, if we're not cultivating those qualities, then our false ego takes, takes control of our life. And then the same things we're doing, which could be the source of liberation, become the same source of bondage. So Bharat Maharaj, he died forgetting Krishna, just thinking about the philanthropy of the deer without the spiritual connection. And by Krishna's grace, now somebody who has cultivated so many devotional neha bhikramanasosti pratyavayo nivityate swalpam apyasya dharmasya trayate mahatobaya in Krishna consciousness nothing we ever do in devotional services ever lost it's eternal as Krishna is eternal so he ruled the kingdom in Krishna consciousness he led so many people on the path of Krishna consciousness his father blessed him, and his father was God, Vrishabdev, <laughs> an avatar. So why would he have to take birth as a deer? Okay, he, he, he got mixed up, he got an illusion, false ego started taking over, but why couldn't he be um, something else? Why a deer? That was... Krishna's mercy. He really became humbled by that experience. And he understood. He understood the power of the false ego. And when we're talking about false ego, it's not just going around and saying, I'm better than you. That's a very grotesque, horrible aspect of the false ego. But even when we're doing service, if we're thinking, I'm the doer and I'm the, without proper sadhana and seva and satsang, then even that becomes false ego. False ego in the mode of goodness, passion, ignorance. So when he became a deer, nothing to be proud about. Now that little baby infant deer that was drowning in the water, it was totally helpless. Now he became a little embryo in a deer's body. Yes. It's not that he just manifested a deer, he had to, you know, some male deer and a female deer and then a little deer emulsifications and then he was born and now he's a deer. But by Krishna's grace, he remembered everything of his past life. And now I just want to remember Krishna. So as a little deer, from the moment he could raise his ears, his deer ear, <laughs> he went to where the sadhus were. Because as Bharat, he didn't go to where the sadhus were. He was alone. He was doing nirjana bhajana. But Maya induced the false ego again. 
So if I want to really be a humble servant of the servant of the Lord, I need association of people to keep my sadhana alive. So he was just, you know, sitting, listening to the sadhu speaking Harikata, Harikirtan, and spent his life. And then he got a human body. And when he became born in a Brahmin family, very exalted Brahmin family, where they were doing yagyas and they were doing pujas and they were, they were teaching society all Vedic principles. He understood so deeply what is the root cause of all illusion and suffering. Ahankar, the false ego. So knowing that, what did he do? He became Jad Bharat. He was fully self-realized in the sense that he knew body, spirit, he knew all shastras, he knew all these things. Previously he had been a great, the king of the, the emperor of the world. But now he was acting in total ignorance. So everyone would humiliate him. Everyone, even his own brothers, what to speak of the rest of society, everyone ridiculed him, made fun of him, criticized him. They thought he was totally worthless. Quite amazing. Why would he want to voluntarily take a position where everyone around you thinks you're totally worthless. You're just a disturbance. You're nothing but uh, trouble. His father would teach him, this is how you should be. You're a Brahmin. You should be clean, suchi. So he would go to the bathroom. He would wash himself very carefully with water. Then he would pass stool, then he would walk away. He wouldn't wash his hands, he wouldn't wash, you know, the other side. <laughs> and he's in a Brahmin family, in a Brahmin community. That's quite disgusting. How many of you would do that? <laughs> Everyone hates you. He did that not because he, for any other reason, except he wanted to be able to completely focus and absorb his mind on Krishna, and he understood the only way you could really do that is you have to be humble. You can't be dictated by the false ego, the ahankar. No matter how successful you are, you could be a great preacher, you could be a great king, you could be a great manager, you could be anything. But unless we're just instruments of the previous acharyas, servants of Krishna, seeing Krishna in the hearts of others, then it's ultimately all false ego. And we have to work against that. So here, he's, here he is, Jad Bharat. 
And he was so useless. His father loved him and was trying to do everything he can to teach his child, but his child would always do everything the opposite. And ultimately, when his father died, the brothers just wanted to get rid of him. And he would do anything he was told. So there was a field and there was crows eating the, the grains and they just, told, they just told him, you go into this middle of the field and you just stand there. In the West we call them scare crows because they scare the crows. <laughs> and he just stood there and he was happy. He was there just meditating on Krishna and all the crows. The crows were probably eating everything and he didn't care. <laughs> he was just standing happy. And then he got kidnapped by some dacoits and they went to make him a human sacrifice. And he was just, yes, of course. Just take my head, cut it off, give the, give the blood to your deity, no problem. He didn't object at all. But then Kali came and she saw that he's a great Paramahamsa. And for those of you who don't know the story, it's quite beautiful description of how Kali protected him. And then ultimately he's just dragged out of the forest because King Rahugana, who is now an emperor, a descendant emperor <laughs> from, from Bharat Maharaj, He's, he, he needs a palanquin holder. And Bharat Maharaj is holding one-fourth of the palanquin, and he's walking, and a little ant crossed the earth. The ant crossed that path where he was, and he stopped suddenly because he's seeing the soul. He's seeing the soul of the ant and the soul of the king. They're all part of Krishna. Brahma Bhuta Prasanatmana Sochati Nakangshati Samasarveshu Bhutishu Matbaktim Labate Param. Krishna tells the one who's in the Brahma Bhuta, the, the spiritual state of consciousness, doesn't hanker for anything that they don't have, doesn't lament for those things that are lost, and sees every living being with equal vision, and is a friend to everyone. Such a state of consciousness. To protect the ant, he made the king very disturbed. Because, you know, for the king, it was just a disturbance. But for the ant, it was death. Yes? If he stepped on the ant, the ant's dead. If he stopped for the ant, the king just had some temporary inconvenience. So he obviously he felt compassion for the king. But he was, he was a very intelligent person. So ultimately, the king was about to kill him for causing him inconvenience. And he just appeared to be ignorant. And when there was a time when all of his knowledge could be used in true compassion to serve another, then he spoke his knowledge. The whole chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam is 
Jad Bharat's teaching to King Rahugana, and King Rahugana touched his feet and surrendered to him and said, you are my guru. And after the king was totally enlightened, Jad Bharat just went back to the forest and lived a, as if he was, didn't know anything. So the theme of the story, in one perspective, is how Bharat Maharaj understood that the root cause of all illusion that keeps us away from Krishna and plunges us into a world of temporary changing sufferings is ahankar, the false ego. So Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught Gopi Bharatur Padakamalayora Dasa Dasanu Das. This has to be the very foundational platform. We build our service, we build our sadhana, we build our life on whatever, our varna or our ashram. And Mahaprabhu did, spoke this statement in the context of varnashram. I'm not a brahman or a kshatriya or a vaishya or a shudra. I'm not a brahmachari or grihasta or vanapras or sannyasi. Who am I? I am eternally the servant of the servant of the servant, the anu, the very small little servant of all servants of the Lord of the gopis, Sri Krishna. Trinada Bisunichena. With such humility, we perform our occupation, we perform our duties, we perform our sadhana. But our association, our seva, our character are also important. Here in Mumbai, we have our Bhaktivedanta Hospital. So in many ways, the doctors are, they're like Bharat Maharaj when he's taking care of the deer. All these people come and they're suffering and some of them have heart attacks and some of them have cancer and some of them have skin diseases and some of them have asthma attacks and there's no, um, no way I can describe everything they have to deal with. Psychological disturbances. So without proper satsang association, without proper sadhana, without proper recognition that their ultimate service through all these other services is to awaken the soul because we understand that this person is Krishna's child and eternal soul. So along with everything else, we have Krishna consciousness so we could give Krishna consciousness. Krishna consciousness movement means to feel the sufferings of others. So if we're disconnected from Krishna, then it's philanthropy. Then it's Bharat Maharaj in forgetfulness. But if we're Krishna conscious, then we're doing the same thing. And we have the maximum focus on awakening a person's love for Krishna, for God. Then it becomes devotional service. and in whatever we're doing. At this time, we are just in the very middle of the December book 
distribution marathon, or whatever you call it here. But Srila Prabhupada, he gave so much of his life, his heart, his energy to provide these books for us. Essentially, to awaken that light of transcendental knowledge. And to distribute these books in the proper consciousness. If we're feeling for the sufferings of others, we understand that no matter what physical or emotional relief we could give a person, which we should try to do, the real suffering is due to the ahankar. The real solution is helping to awaken a person's awareness that they're eternally part of Krishna, they're eternal servants of Krishna, they're eternal souls. And that's the greatest service. Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Para Upakar Bharata Bhumite Janmajar The greatest welfare activity we can offer to another and whatever else we do, this should be the primary connection. The Para Upakar is to awaken a person's original dormant God consciousness, Krishna consciousness. So when we're distributing these books, we're humble instruments of Srila Prabhupada's words. Here is Srila Prabhupada's teachings. Here is the presence of his divine grace. If a person touches the books, reads the books, there's some benefit. It may awaken a seed within their heart, and for those who actually, if the devotee has really nice character and gives a really nice impression to a person, then a person will be much more inclined toward reading the books and then associating and then transforming. Interestingly, and I'm going to end class now because I started late, so therefore I feel justified to end late. <laughs> And since hardly any of you are leaving, I feel very happy and grateful. But December 13th, 1936, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur wrote a letter to Srila Prabhupada. That was the date on top of the letter. Srila Prabhupada was living in Mumbai. In those days, it was Bombay. Srila Prabhupada was doing some business here in Bombay, very close to Radha Gopinath Temple. And he wrote a letter to his Guru Maharaj, who was dead in Jagannath Puri, the holy place 
He said, so many of your disciples are sannyasis and brahmacharis. They're with you throughout the day. They're helping you to establish this movement, to expand this movement. I'm a grihasta with wife, family, job. How could I best serve you? And the message that Srila Prabhupada got back dated December 13th, 1936. Just try to push on Lord Chaitanya's movement in the English language all over the world. In this way, it will be good for you and it will be good for all those who help you. And that was exactly the same instruction that Prabhupada got in the first meeting of his Guru Maharaj. And just about 18 days later, after writing this letter, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur Prabhupada departed from this world. It was his first instruction and last instruction to Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada said, I am trying. I'm trying to fulfill the order of Lord Chaitanya, the order of my Guru Maharaj, and now through, through me, this order is coming to you. So this is a wonderful opportunity for us to be, to unite on a higher level than I, me, and mine. It's, it's us together trying to make Srila Prabhupada's message available to more and more people in this world. And it will be good for us and it will be good for everyone else. So my humble, sincerest request is, please, everyone, the next couple weeks, be enthusiastic to participate in this wonderful seva of distributing Srila Prabhupada's literatures. And I'm going to end with a very sweet statement of Srila Prabhupada. Are you awake and ready? Sometimes sweetness includes all philosophy. So Srila Prabhupada was giving this lecture in 1968 in Los Angeles, California on Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada's disappearance day. And he was telling about the life of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Prabhupada and he was telling about his relationship and the service he's been giving and pleading with us to carry on this mission. And at the end of the class, this one young girl, you could hear her voice. She sounded quite young. She had a question for Prabhupada. She said, you told about Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati and how he stole mango. <laughs> Not stole. He didn't even steal. He just ate. Prabhupada said in the lecture that when Bhakti Siddhanta Prabhupada was between two and three years old. Listen carefully. Between two and three years old. 
he saw a mango and ate it in his house. And his father, Bhaktivino Thakur, he very mildly rebuked him. He said, this mango has not been offered to Krishna. We should only eat what is offered to Krishna. So this little two-and-a-half-year-old child made a vow, I will never eat a mango again. And when he was 60 years old and older, if someone brought him a mango, he would say, no. He would be very humble. He said, I cannot eat it because I am an offender. So that was at the beginning of the talk. At the end of the talk, the girl says, Lord Chaitanya, he told us that he would go to the bank of the Ganges when he was a child, and the girls would have so many fruits and other offerings to offer to Vishnu or Krishna, and Lord Chaitanya would eat them all before they were offered. He would steal them and offer them before they, even his father would say, why are you eating before the deities are eating? And he would just keep going there and eating them. So she was asking, how is it Lord Chaitanya was eating so much prasad knowing that they weren't offered to Krishna? And Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati became, considered himself an offender. It's a good question. <laughs> Srila Prabhupada's answer. He said, Lord Chaitanya, Lord Chaitanya, like Lord Krishna, was a very naughty child. <laughs> but my Guru Maharaj, he was a very gentle child. Srila Prabhupada Ki Thank you very much.